Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. The top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, the show with the best bumper music in the world for podcasts. Thank you to Brogue Wave and that great song, The Cliffs of Moher, gets me fired up every time I get into the studio. And I'm fired up to talk to you about some things today that have really been the making of me and have allowed me to help an awful lot of other people with this great organization here. And it's about building our own philosophy. Today's podcast is called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. I'm coming to you from the Nightingale studio. We named this studio after the great Earl Nightingale, who recorded The Strangest Secret. And if you remember, the essence of The Strangest Secret is we become what we think about all day long. We have uh, Napoleon Hill, and Napoleon Hill and his masterful Think and Grow Rich, I'll be talking about that today, and how Napoleon Hill would often talk about whatever the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. And so we're going to talk about changing our thoughts so we can change our life. Everybody wants to change their life for the better. Everybody wants the outcomes, positive outcomes, good results. The truth of the matter is most people want to change their circumstances. Most people really don't want to do the work to change their life. Where does it all start? It starts with our thought life. And what we're going to get into today is our personal philosophy, our business philosophy, and then ultimately what are the how-tos? how to develop our philosophy. So it's mindset, the motivation behind it, and then the methodologies to do it. That's what this podcast is all about. And one of the reasons why it's hard to work on this is we're so busy. We're eight to nine hours sleeping a day. We're doing five to six hours of leisure a day. We're doing four to five hours of work today, according to a recent survey, and almost five hours a day doing these errands and other things and taking care of people and so on and so forth. We're busy. We're also distracted, and I've talked about this many a time, and, and one of the things I see in our current culture is how distracted we are, you know, with the social media barrage, just the influence. You know, I love the technology. I go everywhere with my phone. It's a computer in my pocket. I get data from our Salesforce reports to show all the different departments of Buffini Company and all the different developments that are going on in the day. That used to take a team of accountants to produce a report and now one click of the button I can examine the daily, weekly, monthly activities department by department. Fantastic. My phone is my computer. It's my entertainment center. I, I've watched videos. I've watched live games. Sometimes I've had a situation where I'm at one set of games with my boys and my wife is at another set of games with my girls and she'll live stream the event. And she might be in a different state and she can live stream the event and I'm watching my kids compete in a live event five states over or three time zones over and I can watch it on my phone. It's fantastic. The problem is the dependency we've developed. It says the typical cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,600 times every day according to Business Insider. The average person is projected to spend more than five years and four months of their life on social media. Breaks down to a little over two hours a day spent on YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram and Twitter. Now, why is that kind of a big number? You know, you project these things out. Over your lifetime, we'll only spend on average one year and three months socializing with friends and family. So imagine, we're going to spend time in social network over the course of our life, almost four and a half times more than we are with actual real people, with real relationships. It's challenging. So we're busy. We're preoccupied. We're distracted. 
Of course, we're not spending much time thinking. We're not spending much time working on our personal philosophy. I'm holding up a little book, and it's from uh, the Treasury of Quotes, from one of my great mentors, Mr. Jim Rohn. And that's uh, R-O-H-N, Jim Rohn, brilliant man. And uh, this man really influenced me enormously. I first heard him in a seminar in 1986. I waited in line. I had him sign a book for me. I just had a few moments with him. And he just said to me, I'm sure a line he said to many, many people many times, but I took it to heart. He says, Mr. Buffini, remember, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. You go from making a living to making a fortune. You know, years later, we developed a close bond and friendship. He spoke at many of our events. But that man was a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And his brand was, he was America's foremost business philosopher. So if you can get your hands on any of the tools that Jim Rohn developed, very, very powerful. The Treasure Quotes, just a couple of books, I think. Fantastic stuff. And so let's talk about philosophy. And I love to always start with the definition of philosophy because that way we're talking from a place of foundational facts as opposed to just opinion. So according to Mr. Webster, philosophy is an analysis of the grounds and concepts expressed in fundamental beliefs. So it's the grounds and concepts that show themselves and manifest themselves in your fundamental beliefs. So what are the concepts? Can you work on the concepts? What if you're working with a bad concept, right? I know a basketball player named Kyrie Irving last year started a great kerfuffle on social media because he looked into a camera, was very serious when he said, the world is flat. The world is flat. Now, the way you can create great stuff today is you can say something you absolutely don't believe and cause enough of a kerfuffle. But what if, what if you do believe the world is flat? Let me ask you, have you ever found out something you held very strictly to that you said, this is the way it is, and later on on your journey you found out it wasn't the way it is, or it might not have been the way it is, or maybe what you're saying was, this is the way it is was only one contributing factor, and there's actually an awful lot more to explore. I think in our world today, everything's so black and white, everything's so red and blue, everything's a fact, and it turns out very few of these things are facts, a lot of them are fiction. What's your personal philosophy? So we're going to delve into this today, because I can tell you this, if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. If you change your thoughts, you can change your life. If there's more good thoughts than bad thoughts. You know, one of the downsides to social media today, everybody has goofy thoughts. Everybody has something cross their mind during the course of a day. You're driving on the freeway and someone cuts you off, and your mind goes there for a second, and the next thing you know, you're pushing them over a cliff, or you're you turning it into a stock car race, or you're whatever. I don't know. Maybe that was just my thought this morning. The fact is, we all have goofy thoughts that come across our brain. The key sometimes is, A, not become attached to the thought. B, let it go. C, replace it with something good. And D, don't tweet it out. Don't tweet it out. Don't put it on social media. Don't let your worst moment be defined by hit and send. I know many a good person who's kind of put themselves in an awkward spot. I recently read of a, an executive of a major sports program in the Philadelphia 76ers, a respected man whose father is a hugely respected man, and he has this legacy. He had to step down and lose his job. Why? Because a couple of little criticism came up on Twitter, and his wife set up phony Twitter accounts to answer the criticism. And all of a sudden, the small moments of our worst nature come to define us. What we need to do is live in a place that the strongest moments of our nature come to define us. What's your philosophy, and does it need any work? Here's a couple of things. Let's talk about it, break it down. Personal philosophy, your business philosophy, and then what are the how-tos? So let's talk about your personal philosophy. Three questions. First, what do you think about yourself? Second, do I have what it takes? And third, 
Are you dwelling on mistakes and trials rather than your victories and accomplishments? What do you think about yourself? Do I have what it takes? And dwelling on mistakes or trials rather than victories and accomplishments. What do you think about yourself? When no one's around, when the lights are off, and it's just silence. You're not distracted by social media. See, people aren't even thinking like this. People aren't even taking the time anymore. We're so distracted. Uh, when we go running, we have to have music. We go working out, we have... I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, when was the last time you drove somewhere in your car with the sound of silence? Or you went for a walk, sound of silence. I know many of you, you take me with you with your podcast, and I'm delighted. But you know what? Once in a while, can you find a moment to have 10, 15 minutes just to think, just to process, and just to cultivate? What do you actually think about yourself? And is it correct? Is it possible there's things you think about yourself that aren't correct? Is it possible you say things about yourself where you put yourself down or you go, I'm lazy. I don't have what it takes. Do you ever say those things to yourself? I know I do. I know the greatest onboard terrorist I've ever met in my life, the greatest underminer of my own success was me. And so the key is I'm going to put more good stuff in than I allow bad stuff to reside. A book I read as a young man that really influenced me was by uh, James Allen. And he wrote the book, As a Man Thinketh. It comes from the proverb, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23. And he wrote some great stuff. It's a book I recommend to you. It's, again, like all these things, I want you to be a good student. I don't want you to take this stuff at my word. And I don't want you to say that everything that James Allen wrote is fantastic. Eat the meat, throw away the bones. That's the way you should be with all things. So your personal philosophy, what do you think about yourself? You know, in today's world, the fastest growing condition being addressed by psychologists is what's called imposter syndrome. A version of this has been around for thousands of years, but now they've put a term on it and a name to it, and now they're seeing this escalating rise in this. Imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which people doubt their accomplishments and have a persistent, often internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. An internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. I don't have what it takes. I just did an event in San Diego where the best of the best in our database come together. They pay thousands of dollars. They have to be nominated by their coach. It's called Peak Experience. It's a three-day event at La Costa. We do two of these a year. It's a phenomenal experience. And it's the best of the best. We go through this content. I bring in these world-class speakers. I break people down into small groups. And when new people come to the event, it's been going on for over 15 years, new people show up when we talk to them they're very excited, they're very enthusiastic, but on private conversations, they'll actually admit, I I'm not sure I belong with this group. You know, I was kind of intimidated to contribute in the groups. Because why? They're like, oh, I'm going to this place where there's really successful people, and I can't be that person. I remember having this happen when I was a kid. I was a pretty good golfer when I was younger. And I remember one time, I'm playing in a match, and the fellas across the fairway and I'm representing my local club, and he's representing his local club. And this guy hits this shot on a par five up onto the green. I went, whoa. And I'm like, jeez. And I remember walking over, and I said to my caddy, jeez, I can't beat this guy. And he goes, well, that's interesting. He goes, we played this course last week, and you hit the exact same shot and ended up on the green just like that. And I didn't see myself as that guy. I, this guy was taller. He's handsome. He's kind of a, he was a taller version of me, if you think. You know, good-looking guy. And he's over there, and, and I'm like, I can't do that. I don't see myself in that. And so we all have that. Every human being has this to some degree. I'm going to say that people don't have that thought about themselves. They might be so arrogant 
and so self-consumed that they're actually blind to themselves. And so if you ever felt like you're a fraud or that you don't really have what it takes, that kind of thing, a recent study revealed that 75% of surveyed students at Harvard Business School felt they were admitted to the school due to some failure of the admissions process. The only reason they let me in here is they made a mistake. 75%. Now, think about Now, first of all, think about the people who apply to Harvard and how successful and good they have to be. Then think about the people who are accepted to Harvard and how good they have to be. And then 75% of them think they made a mistake. That's the East Coast, all right? What about West Coast, right? So we got Biggie. What about Tupac? So what about the West Coast? Incoming students at Stanford Business School, year after year, report a surprising recurrence. Over two-thirds of the students felt they were granted admission only because of some mistake made by the admissions committee. It can't be true. It's got to be a mistake. Think about this. I'm talking about Stanford and Harvard. Now, here's the thing. I'm a multi-millionaire, built a vast business, influenced millions of people all over the world. I wouldn't have more into flipping Harvard or Stanford. I don't know if they'd let me in there to clean the toilets. So the people who are actually getting accepted think they're a fraud. If they think they're a fraud, what about you and me? James Allen in A Man Think It says, A person is limited only by the thoughts that he chooses. I'm going to say it several times. A person is limited only by the thoughts he chooses. What does that mean? What does that mean? When you read something, don't just read. Don't be distracted. Don't scroll to the next thing. Don't walk on bloody Instagram. Think about the quote I just gave you. A person is limited only by the thought he chooses, which means you have a choice regarding your thoughts. You can choose which thoughts to hang on to, and you can choose which thoughts to... Okay, I had a thought to come across. I don't know if I represent any value. I don't know if I'm good at anything. I don't know if I'll ever amount to anything. I don't know. Okay, great. You had that thought. You can choose to hang on to that thought, or you can just kind of let that thought go by and choose to hang on to the thought that's actually absolutely true. Why do so many of us feel like we don't have the real deal? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? In the great movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, my favorite character, Tuco, says, Tengo lo que se necesita. Do I have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? That's a great question. In the depth of our heart, do we really have what it takes? James Allen says this, Circumstances do not make a man, they reveal him. Here's what I want to share with you. If you look at what you've been through in your life, I don't care how young or how old you are, if you look through, actually, what have you persevered through? What have been the difficulties? What are the challenges? What are the setbacks? What were the things, the great disappointments? If you made a list of your great disappointments, they are the making of you. Now, I know you don't want to go back and experience them again no more than I do, but they're the making of us. Of course you have what it takes because you took the shots that life had to square up and hit you with and you kept moving forward. You kept going. You have what it takes. So what I would say is the challenges and the trials, be aware of those. But when it comes to your own personal philosophy and understanding what you have, here's the key. Don't dwell on the mistakes or the trials. Dwell on the victories and accomplishments. That's the key. Be aware of the times. You took the shot and the ball didn't go in the hoop. You went out and you started the business and the business didn't go well. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I've owned 47 businesses. I've had one that failed and I've had 46 successful businesses. The one business that blew up in my face, I've written four books. Every one of those books, I wrote about the business that failed. It took me about six hours to put that deal together to start that business. It took me about six years to get over it. 
I will tell you that it hurt me. I felt for a period of time I lost my confidence. I didn't know if I had the goods. I didn't know if I should ever go into business again. But I will tell you, once I went over the emotional and accepted, you know, the five stages of grief, once I went through that, the truth of the matter, it was the making of me. The businesses that I have gone on to build since that time, I have absolutely all of the success. I can point to those things I learned from that difficult time that I now manage myself. It's part of my philosophy that's manifested itself in my everyday business, if that makes sense to you guys. It's very, very powerful. So we want to learn from our mistakes. We want to learn from our trials. And then you put it behind you. And it's okay. It's okay to emotionally grieve that for a period of time. That's being human. And then what did I learn from that? And then how can I put it going forward? And now I'm going to focus on my victories and accomplishments. I'll tell you a neat story. At the end of many of our events, whether it's a book signing or a meet and greet, I always like to meet the people, talk to the people, hear what's going on. And I was in Atlanta years ago, and a lion was around the building, and it was hours going through it. And I could see this gal standing off to the side, and it was obvious she was waiting for no one else to be around. And, and I've seen that dynamic many times, and it's usually someone who has something very private to share. Now, when this gal walked up to me, she looked like, just like she had it all together, okay? She was a very, very attractive woman in her late 40s, maybe early 50s. She just was quaffed put together, look like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. And she's walking over, and she wants to be one of the last people. And I'm thinking maybe, you know, it's funny how our own insecurities work. I'm like, normally people want to talk to me at the end because they've got a real personal problem they want to talk about. I'm thinking maybe this gal has some advice for me. That's what I was thinking. She's walking over. So she comes over. I go, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And she's having a hard time kind of getting her thoughts together. And she goes, i am just got into the real estate business. My husband of 25 years just left me. I have three kids. I listened to all this stuff you said. I need to provide a living for myself. I think I'd be good at real estate, but I've just never done anything. I've been a stay-at-home mom for 22 years, and I just don't know if I'm good at anything. I just don't know that I can do this. She's asking herself, do I have what it takes? She's pretty convinced she's never done anything. And I'm standing there, and first of all, I'm kind of taken aback because she looked the part, right? So... I said to her, can I ask you, tell me about your family. So she has three kids, and like one of them was a doctor, and one of them was a chief financial analyst. And I think the other person was somewhere else in the, in the medical field. So three kids, put them through college, successful kids, they're starting families of their own. And all the kids were kind of fighting over her to get her to live near them. So I said, uh, are you good, mom? Yeah. I said, you got three successful kids, yeah. They like each other, oh, they're best friends. And I said, they want you to kind of live close to them now, yeah. I said, so the hardest thing in the world is raising a family. And you have done that, it seems like, extraordinarily well. And you're standing here telling me you can't do anything or that you've never done anything. And yet you've done the hardest thing there probably is in all of life. And I said, you know, think about that. And I said, what were all the things? And we just started going through it. And I said, what are some of the things you went through? And what did you have to overcome? And, oh, yeah, and, she, and it turns out she was the president of the PTA. And it turns out she helped get the football fields rebuilt and this and that and led the fundraisers. And as she went through her career of all the things she could, she devoted herself to her kids and their life. Whatever else. She had done all these things, none of which she carried with her. And now she's faced with getting into the real estate business and thinks, I can't do anything. And I'm like, let me tell you. 
You would take those skills. You take that attribute, your ability to care for your kids, to care for your clients, your excellence in regards to promoting and advocating for an idea. You'll sell every listing your client ever has. You're going to be terrific. She's walking around in the midst of a difficult circumstance and a challenge with the failure she's currently facing. Now, again, she's okay to be human. It's going to take her a while to recover from that. But the truth of the matter is she'd forgotten who she was. And that forgetting of who you are and what you've done leads to this imposter syndrome, leads to this I'm a fraud, leads to this I don't have what it takes. Again, James Allen would say, do not dwell upon the sins and mistakes of yesterday so exclusively as to have no energy in mind left for living rightly today. And do not think that the sins of yesterday can prevent you from living purely today. Learn from our past. Learn from our mistakes. Understand they're a reference point. Learn from it to say, okay, great. That's my tendency. I got to work against my tendency. And I'm going to use that tendency in my future. And now I'm going to focus on my successes. Now I'm going to focus on my victories. And I'm going to live in that space. Not in some artificial way. I don't walk around with plaques and trophies of everything I've ever done and a mirror that always shows me as six foot seven and looking gorgeous. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, here's the thing. As a person, I have developed my own philosophy and I've learned to really enjoy more and more the development and the successes than beating myself up. Okay? And so, as we go through these things, what do you think about yourself? Do you have what it takes? These are very, very powerful concepts. Now let's kind of dive in here a little bit and let's talk about your business philosophy. Because if your personal philosophy sets the sail, you change your thoughts, you can change your life. What if you change your thoughts regarding your business Can that change your business? Of course. Of course. So here's a couple of questions. Why do people succeed? Is the market fair? Will my tomorrow be better than today? These are questions to think about. These are questions literally to sit and think about. These are questions to journal. If we go, what do I think about myself? Do I have what it takes? Dwelling on my mistakes and trials. What do I learn from those? And what are my victories and accomplishments? Sit down and journal those things out. Similarly with your business philosophy, put on a sheet of paper. Why do people succeed? Write it out. Let your own thoughts come back to you. I'm telling you when you do this and you start putting your own thoughts down on paper and do it in private, some of the thoughts you'll come up with might not be what you'd want to put on a billboard. Is the market fair or are you uniquely cursed? Okay, is the market fair? And will my tomorrow be better than my today? A neat book by Thomas Corley, best-selling author of Rich Habits, The Daily Success Habits of Wealthy Individuals. He spent five years monitoring and analyzing the daily activities and habits of people both wealthy and living in poverty. He isolated what he calls rich habits and found that rich people think differently based on statements which they identify. Uh, guess what? He spent five years studying the most successful people, and here's what he found. Rich people's philosophy was different than poor people's philosophy. And guess what? If a poor person will change their philosophy, they can go from the poor category to the rich category. How do I know that? Because that's what I've done. And that's what I've helped happen for millions of people. You can change this. It's not where you're born. I was born on the south side of Dublin. Lived in a 720 square foot house. Five boys, one girl. Five boys in a nine by nine bedroom one bathroom in the house no heat in our home emigrated to the country with 92 bucks in my wallet i went to school yeah i got grades but when i came to america and i got hit by a car my circumstances weren't good 
I owed a quarter of a million dollars as a 19-year-old. Over $2 million in today's money. I knew nobody. I'm 7,000 miles away from home. I started where you don't want to start. I wasn't born with all this stuff. I didn't have all this. I didn't have the silver spoon. I didn't have all this. But I had to do this. I need to change my thinking. And that's what I started to do. And I went to work harder on myself. And that's what changed everything. Just like in my business philosophy, I had a seven-hour meeting yesterday with my brother Dermot. If you listen to the podcast, Dermot's the CEO of the company. We spent seven hours examining our philosophy of business. Seven hours. Okay, that's what always worked. That's what always worked. Will that work in the future? Bringing in consultants we've had, bringing in reports, challenging our thinking. I'm preparing for this podcast. I'm preparing for this podcast. We have some young interns, Okay couple of young fellas around the place, 18 years of age. I don't know I'd let them drive me car. In fact, there's no way I'd let them drive me car. No chance. Maserati's not getting bent around a pole. But we're in the preparation for the podcast, and I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and the young fellow raises his hand and says, Mr. Buffini, is that point connected to the other one? Challenging my philosophy. And you know what? He was right. He was right. So shout out to Daniel Murphy, Maranatha Christian Schools. The interns are paying off. Here's the bottom line. Why do people succeed? Here's an example of Thomas Corley's 10 questions. Rich people believe their habits have a major impact on their lives. So the statement is, daily habits are critical to financial success in life. Rich people who agree, 52%. Poor people who agree, 3%. So daily habits are critical to financial well-being. 3% versus 52%. You tell me. Here's one that caused me this statement. Fritzed me so much, I wrote a book called The Emigrant Edge that went all over the world. The American dream is no longer possible. Rich people who agree, 2%. Poor people who agree, 87%. Rich folks don't believe the American dream is no longer possible. They believe it is possible. That's why they believe. Poor folks, see, the dream's not possible. The deck is stacked against me. Now, I'm not picking on poor folks because I was a poor man. But I wasn't just poor economically, I was poor in mind. You see, being broke is a state of account. Being poor is a state of mind. I had both. I was broke and I was poor. I'm not just pointing it out, but I will say this. I believe life is very fair, and we'll get to that in a minute. If you believe you can't be successful, then you're right. If you believe the deck is stacked against you, you're right. But if you believe you can't make it in North America... What I would encourage you to do is go down and get a passport and go travel the world. And go see people who are busting their home to try to make it in other parts of the world. Because, baby, in New York they say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I'm going to say this. If you can't make it in America, you can't make it anywhere. I'm sorry. I'm getting worked up here. This is very frustrating stuff. Relationships are critical to financial success relationships are critical to financial success rich people you know those mean miserly people they're off by themselves no they believe 88% of rich people believe that relationships are critical to financial success poor people who agree 17% I love meeting new people rich people agree with that 68% poor people 11% Uh, saving money is critical to financial success rich people 88% poor people 52% great I believe in faith Rich people, 10%. Poor people, 90%. Why is that a big deal? Now, you can make the cause, okay, is the predestination, the providence, karma, all those things that people will talk about. But what we're talking about is that your success is predetermined irrespective of what you do. 
irrespective of what you do. 10% of rich people believe that. 90% of poor people believe that. It means this. When I came out of the womb, my fate was decided. Where I was born, my environment, that was decided. Not saying it's not challenging. Not saying there aren't some circumstances and environment much more difficult than others, especially in this country. But what's our philosophy? The location of your mind is more important than the location of your body. Creativity is critical to financial success. Rich people say 75%, yeah. Poor people say 11%. Rich people enjoying their jobs. I like what I do for a living. Rich people, 85%. Poor people, 2%. Richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, said, show me a man skilled in his labor, he'll serve before kings. He said also that the richest man is the one who has a roof over his head, enough food to eat, and enjoys what he does so he can't tell the passing of one day to the next. There's one thing my staff will tell you that happens regularly in my week. I'll go, what day is it? And I literally won't have a clue. I work very hard. I put in a lot of hours. But I tell you, I love what I do. The people around me seem to love what they do. And a lot of times I look around and I go, what day is it? And here's what's hilarious. My staff will look at me and go, I don't know. (laughs) Love what you do. Seems to be a recipe for success. Good health is critical to financial success. Rich people say 85%. Poor people, 13%. I've taken a risk in search of wealth. Rich people, 63%. Poor people, 6%. I don't know what to say, but the facts don't lie. Thomas Corley spent five years of his life. Might be worth checking out the book. What is your business philosophy? Dr. Thomas Stanley wrote a fantastic book called The Millionaire Next Door, and the follow-on book was called The Millionaire Mind. And he asked millionaires, only asked millionaires, hundreds and hundreds of millionaires, what was their factors in being successful? It's not a question of rich versus poor. Just here's what rich people said. The top three answers were a tie. Okay, The top three answers were tied. Being well-disciplined, being honest with all people, and getting along with people. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think in the cultures, mindset, movies, wherever you want to go, of the typical person who has a lot of money. Would these things jump off the... Oh, let's portray a rich person in a movie, in a show. They're well-disciplined, they're extremely honest, and they really they want to get along with people. Is that the first three things you think about? When you ask real-life millionaires, not phony TV millionaires, what are your key success factors? Those are the top three. Disciplined, honest with people, getting along with people. The fourth one was having a supportive spouse. Next to that was working harder than most people. Love their career and business. We heard that again. Strong leadership qualities. Having a competitive spirit or personality. Being well organized. Having the ability to sell their products or ideas. Making wise investments. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. What is your philosophy? Whatever the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. We become what we think about all day long. If you're thinking about politics all day long, then that's what you will become. Because unless you're going to be a politician, if you're going to look at politics all day long, if you're going to listen to the shows, if you're going to look at the stuff on your phone, the only outcome for you is to become more entrenched in what you already believe. And anything that doesn't go in alignment with that philosophy is going to cause you frustration, depression, resentment, and ultimately anger. That is your only outcome. Unless you plan to do something about it. Unless you plan to run for politics or get involved in the political system. Because if you put all your thoughts into something all day long, you don't do anything about. Because can you do anything about it? Yeah, you get to vote. You get to vote. Great, you participate. Move on with your life. 
What are you thinking about all day long? What are you focusing your mind on all day long? And I know I'm amped up here. I know I'm ramped up, but I hope you don't come across that I'm beating you with a broom handle. But I will share this with you. This is the stuff that changed me. This is the stuff that changed me. It started on the inside and it went to the outside. When I was growing up, when you were a kid in Dublin, Dublin in the 1980s was classified as a third world economic country. So you'd see a Rolls Royce going down the street and the fellas on the corner would say, I wonder who he had to screw over to get that. And the philosophy was, if that guy had more, he had to get it at the expense of someone else and be dishonest. I just shared with you, that's completely contrary to the truth of why successful people are successful. But that was a common dynamic. That was a common philosophy. Now, where was I as a kid? I wasn't sure of that, but I wasn't unsure of that either. I came to America, and the next thing you know, I, I'm at a church, and I'm, I'm introduced to this guy, and it turns out he's a multimillionaire. And I'm watching him, and I'm watching he's married for 40 years, and he has these kids, and these grandkids, and he serves in the community, and he does this. And, he, and finally, after months and months of interacting with this fellow, I said, can we go to lunch? And I sat down with him. This guy was great. And then I thought, well, I found the one honest guy. You know, he's like the one non-guilty man in Shawshank, right? I found the, the one. Well, like, actually, no, I, I'm looking around, but now I'm looking around. I see similar qualities in another successful person I meet in business. And after months, I invite him to lunch. Same thing. Honest, hard work and family man. This and that. Meet this woman. Same thing. Same thing. Over and over and over. It started to challenge my philosophy. And here's what happened. Here's where I started to become a millionaire. I wanted to be like those people. I didn't want to have what they had. I didn't want their bank account. I went, I want to be more like that person. I want to be more like that person in my character. I want to hold myself more like that person. I want to have those kind of virtues. I want to be more like that person. Very, very powerful stuff. It changed my philosophy. Here's another business philosophy question. Is the market fair? Is the market fair? Well, here's the question for you. Do you believe in physics? Is cause and effect really a thing? Is the law of gravity really true? What goes up must come down. Is that true? In our success tours, I've been teaching this year on the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is about the fairness of the market. That you reap what you sow. That if you put good stuff in, you get good stuff out. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Do we really want that? Do we really want that or do we want this? Do I want to be able to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, not work out, or only exercise when I feel like it, and be in great shape? That's what I want. I want to be able to spend what I want, when I want, without thinking about it, and finance whatever I want because I want it now, and then be financially well to do. That's what I want. So what I actually want is I don't want the market to be fair. I don't want the law of the harvest. That's what I want. I want to be able to eat crap, not exercise, and be in great shape and be healthy. That's what I want. I really want that. I would like to try. I've tried that. And then I get frustrated. So how does the market fare deal? You know what? It's all genetics. You know, there's a lot of people in my family are heavy. You know, it's, it's genetics, you know. Ah, uh, you know, the American diet. I was born in Ireland. The American diet, it's got all this gluten and this and that and the other. You know, at home, I could eat bread all day. It would never bother me. And so you come up with these rationales, you come up with these dynamics that are basically, talk about imposters, it's the imposter of the mind that then says, that's oh, just not fair. You know, I can eat, and I've said these words, I've said these words to Beverly, because I, here I, I marry this stud athlete, and I go, honey, if you eat the same things as me every day, I get unhealthy and out of shape, and you're in great shape. 
And that might be true because there's certain foods that work differently for me than do for her. But the fact of the matter is I'm trying to say it's not fair and that's why I'm not in great shape or I'm not in as good a shape as I want to be or because uh, I've been through all of that. That's the same for your business. People used to tell me, people used to tell me, you know, uh, Brian, he's top guy in our office when I was selling real estate and they go, but he's very lucky. He's very lucky. Yeah, I was so lucky I got run over by a car. I got so lucky I got gangrene. I got so lucky I owed a quarter million dollars in medical bills. That's how lucky I got. The fact is, cause and effect is very fair. There are laws of gravity. I will say this. I will actually say if there's an unfairness to the market, it's truly this. I believe I have received even greater rewards from my business than I've even put in. But I've been so consistent putting in the good stuff for so long that it has created this compounding effect. And now every time I do some good things for my business, it has this exponential result. And I believe the power of compounding goes to work for you. But is the market fair? Yes, it is. Why do businesses go out of business? Because the market's fair. Because if you provide a poor service at a non-affordable price with not great quality that doesn't meet the needs of your customer, you don't deserve to be in business. You don't deserve to be in business. Because the market's fair. But if you provide a service for someone and that service meets the need of its customer, you do it really well, you do it very consistently, and you're constantly growing and developing yourself to get even better for them, you provide it at an appropriate rate and it's connected to a fundamental in the marketplace, you will succeed. It's just as simple as that. And so the system that we teach here at Buffini Company is all about the law of the harvest. It's about giving to your customers. It's about exceeding their expectations. It's about wowing them. It's doing more for them than they ask. Always do more than you're paid for. You know, I, I try to tell young people when they're working for me, if you're getting paid 15 bucks an hour, do $20 hours worth of work. You know what I mean? Always do more than you're paid for. Always give more. Always serve more. Always offer more. And it's the law of the harvest. My father used to say, Brian, you give it out in slices, it'll come back in loaves. And he was true. Jim Rohn said, only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Think about that. Only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Winston Churchill, he said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. The law of the harvest. Give yourself away. Give yourself away. It's like a U2 song. And you give and you give. That's the deal. The law of the harvest is very, very true. Give to the market. Plant the seeds. Put in the fertilizer, water, cultivate, and you will reap a harvest. Another business philosophy question is, will my tomorrow be better than today? Will my tomorrow be better than today? You know, when I ask people that question, you know, a lot of times, especially in meetings, people don't know. People don't know. You know, that we were in the midst of a major cultural change in this country. There's cultural norms and cultural systems and cultural thought that we're in the midst of a great change. And it doesn't mean everything's great. But will my tomorrow be better than today? What's your philosophy? The problem is, is that when you get wrapped up and you're spending all your day in the thoughts and the concerns and the worries of today and the immediacy of today, it's very easy to lose perspective. And we have to have perspective. You know, I'm a big basketball fan. In fact, my kids just killed me the other day because my daughter, Amy, who loves to impersonate me, she recorded a video of me watching a, a Warriors game. I've been a big Golden State Warriors fan. And she's, she has me down. And it's very hard to look at yourself. You know, she has me down, peg cold. 
But it was interesting during this series when it was on. You know, there was, oh, my gosh, this guy Kevin Durant. He's, yeah, he's overpaid. He's no good. He wants no part of LeBron James. He's afraid of him. He's scared of him. He's not validated. Then they did backstories on his insecurity and how he moved. And uh, this, oh, he scored 43 points and dominated. Yeah. Now the other guy is a joke. And the other guy, oh, the guy LeBron, he's no good. He passes when he should shoot. That's the world. That's the market. And that's never changing. And if you're caught up in the day-to-day with the news, with current events, with financial changes, with politics, with sports, with whatever's preoccupying you, with whatever fashion is, or whatever's going on Snapchat or Instagram, or whatever looks cool, or whatever's this and that and the latest outfit, whatever's preoccupying you, you lose perspective. So here's some things I believe we can learn about our future by understanding our past. So over the past 90 years, the stock market has averaged a 9.8% return. Okay, almost 10%. So what's it going to do in the future? I think it'll end up doing the same. Will there be recessions in our future? Yeah. Will there be stock market crashes in our future? Yeah. Will there be housing booms in our future? Yeah. Will there be housing crashes in our future? Yeah. Yep. Why? Because it's in our past. And people do the same thing. Okay? In the early, uh, mid-2000s, people were using their house as an ATM machine. The equity was going up. They were pulling out equity lines. Da-da-da-da-da. That dynamic led to what ultimately became the Great Recession. That became derivatives. Then the people built stock portfolios around it, and it was a big mess. What's going on right now? People are back to using their house like an ATM machine. They're back borrowing money. Because human nature doesn't change. We'll have booms. We'll have busts. But what's the future hold? Here's a good little stat that I give at some of our events, Okay. And it's over a 40-year period. A person who invests $100 a month, okay? $100 a month over 40 years. They'll have invested $48,000 at an 8% return, which is almost 2% lower than what the market has actually done. That $48,000 will turn into 351000 What about the compounding effects of someone who would put $1,000 a month away? $1,000 a month means they would invest over 40 years, 480000 That would be... Three and a half million. Compound interest. Albert Einstein says the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it receive it, and those who don't pay it. What do I believe about your tomorrow? I believe a lot. A lot of opportunity. In his famous speech, Jimmy Carter, in 1979, gave a nighttime speech to the nation. And he said that a majority of people believe that our future will not be as good as our past that our children will not have as good opportunities as we've enjoyed. It was coming up to 1980, there was an oil crisis, the Iranian hostage crisis, inflation, all kinds of things going on. Let me ask you this. How many of you wish you could have invested everything you had in 1980? Bought every piece of real estate you knew about, invested every dollar you had in the stock market, because the future was so amazing of what would happen since 1980 till today. By the way, people were even more apprehensive, more anxious. You used to have to line up for gas on certain days of the week based on your license plate number. Some of you remember, some young folks, no idea. Go watch the movie Miracle. That, that's a good example. It brings it up in that. The fact of the matter is, people always will doubt and be fearful, and we have to face our future a different way. Again, Jim Rohn says there's two ways to face the future. One is with apprehension, the other is with anticipation. I choose anticipation. 
I choose anticipation, knowing full well there's recessions. Knowing full well there will be market crashes. Knowing full well there will be acts of terror. Knowing full well countries will go to war. Knowing full well there will be outbreaks of disease. Knowing full well there will be unspeakable tragedies. Knowing full well there are trials in my future. I choose to view the future with anticipation and the joy of what will be. And I will be strong and I will be stronger than those who live in fear. Here's the last piece. I want to get into some how-tos for you. I hope this has been helpful for you. This is what I was fired up to talk about today. So we want to talk about how to develop your philosophy. So I always want to give you those methodologies. So here's three methodologies I've taught for a lot of years that have really worked. First intake, second association, and third affirmations. These are things that I learned from reading countless books on personal growth and development. These are things I learned from studying successful people. These are things I learned. Then I took the next step. I internalized. Then I took the next step. I applied them. Then after I applied them and I became successful, then I shared them. So that's the progression. And now I've shared them and our company has coached just hundreds of thousands of people who are business owners to have a great business and a great life by helping them develop their personal philosophy, their business philosophy, and then stick to doing the fundamentals on a daily basis. So here's intake. What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Well, I'm glad you're listening to this. I already applaud you. If you're a podcast listener, you're already in the top 10% of people because you're putting something into your mind and heart that's different than most. What are you reading? Now, people go, I don't read anymore. I listen to audio and this. I say, great. But just so you know, there's actually a physiological change that takes place when you read information. Neuro pathways in the brain are opened up and expanded. It's another very powerful way to take in intake. Then there's also, you know, education, whether it's training programs or going to an event. You know, one of the reasons we do events, and I, I, we will always do events, not because I love to be traveling around and on the road. I, I've done more than that than I probably need to in my life. But ultimately, there's just something special about getting together. There's something special about being together and feeling the juice and feeling the fire and being around thousands of like-minded people who are on the journey themselves. And so that's why we do all of our events. That's why we do these podcasts. That's why I'm writing the books, because these are the things that were given to me that changed my life. I've internalized it, systemized it, and then bringing it out to you. And so I'm just passing it on, and I'm certainly hoping there's somebody listening to me today that will get fired up, that will see a need in the marketplace, have the empathy for people who are hurting in a certain way, and they themselves will internalize, become a student, apply it, become successful, and then teach others. There's many people come to me all the time, they want to be speakers and presenters, and they want to do this, but they don't want to actually have done anything. So I would say, take the information, internalize it, go do something with it, be successful, and then from the platform of success, go speak whether it's one-on-one, whether it's in groups. Who knows? Maybe someone who's listening to this podcast, maybe one day I'll be paying to go to your seminar, and I would love that. We have intake. The next thing is associations. My mother used to say, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. Man, I hated that. And I really hated that because she was right. And Therese, she had that little Irish wisdom, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. And she was right. Who are you hanging out with? That's the question. Napoleon Hill, who was really the book that really launched the personal growth and development movement in America, was Think and Grow Rich. Napoleon Hill, 
mentored by Andrew Carnegie, exposed to Andrew Carnegie's most successful friends, spent 25 years of his life studying the most successful people on earth and also studying people who had failed. Researched for 25 years and then wrote a book that had 13 principles called Think and Grow Rich. Think about the name of the book. Think and Grow Rich. Isn't that the whole context of today's podcast? Change your thinking and grow rich. That's what Napoleon Hill wrote about. That's what he broke it down to after studying the most 500 successful people on earth. And of the 13 principles he wrote, one of them was the power of the mastermind. And what Hill said was, the mastermind principles were two or more people actively engage in the pursuit of a definite purpose with a positive attitude that constitutes an unbeatable force. How would you like to be an unbeatable force? That's what you can be. But it starts in the mind. Then it starts, in this case, with the association. So we take in the intake, but now who are you on the journey with? Okay? Ray Kroc used to say, hey, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, and we have a lot of people from all over listening, but a lot of people own a business. They're self-employed. We got to take the self out of self-employed. And lastly, I want to talk about affirmations. A great friend of mine named Shad Helmstetter, he's spoken at many of our events. He wrote a best-selling book years ago called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Everybody talks to themselves. Just what do you say? Words have power to them. The words we say have power to them. And when we take thoughts and attach words to them, the words we say have power to them. We're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game. has power to it. Uh, We're going to win this game. has power to it. I'm going to get this listing. has power to it. Buyers are liars and sellers are worse. That has power to it. There's a power to, yeah, you know, until the Democrats are in the White House, I'll never be successful. Until the Republicans have this, I'll never be successful. Words have power to them. Words have power to them. And so we have to make sure that the words we say to ourselves starts with me. What are the things I say to myself? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I have never lived a day in my life where I wish I hadn't said something to myself that I had. So don't you beat yourself up either. But the key is, can I add one thing to myself and go, okay, I'm where I'm at. It's okay to be disappointed. It's not okay to be discouraged. We can get disappointed. You do certain things. It doesn't work out. You're not quite there. You put out a great effort. You're not getting a great result. It's okay to be disappointed. Just don't get discouraged. And so I hope this has been helpful for you. There's so much I'd love to share on this. Your personal philosophy, your business philosophy, and then the how-tos. I mean, this is one of the things... When we're coaching people, we're not explicitly saying, okay, now we're going to work on your mind. But as we go through the process, we are challenging. You know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Okay, now let's try this. Let's try that. Have you followed this system to the T? Have you really followed the law of the harvest? Have you? Those are the things that we can do. I know this podcast is reaching a lot of people in, uh, I think, over 160 countries. It's an amazing privilege to be able to come to each one of you. I hope this particular podcast will go deep within you. I hope you listen to it many times over. You know, if you ever want help in your business, you can check out Buffini Company. We have hundreds of people who are here to help you maybe take your business and life to the next level. I love hearing from you guys with your reviews. I got one here from, let's say, Dre Renee. And it says, well, I'm truly inspired. I learned of you from the Ken Coleman show on the Entree Leadership Podcast. And I'm thankful I took the time to listen. So you took action there, 
Dre. I've been somewhat lost how to do life intentionally. And this podcast in the course of just a short period of time has really encouraged me and given me steps on how I can become mentally strong and move towards success. So fantastic stuff. And uh, very, very excited to have you on the journey and many more like you. I also want you to know that your feedback is very important. You know, keep giving that to us. I also want you to know that your endorsement is very much needed. Maybe you know someone who suffers from a little stinking thinking. Maybe you know somebody who needs to change their thoughts so they can change their life. Maybe instead of you talking to them, maybe you can have me do it for you. And uh, what we're going to ask you to do is refer this show to them and to all your friends, as many people as you know, everyone in your Rolodex, everyone in your social media. And maybe we'll get them off the phone as much and get them into something real positive. So please share this show with as many people as you can. Our mission and the thought that drives this show is to impact and improve the lives of as many people as we can touch. And we want to do that with your help. Another piece of feedback I've gotten is that you guys love how on occasion we offer something that we... Uh, we do around here at Buffini Company as a little gift to you. And I believe the very great David Lally is in the studio with me today, and he has something to share on that. Thanks a lot, Brian. We do have something pretty cool to offer you guys today. Every once in a while, we like to provide a special offer for our listeners. As you may have heard, we have a world-class coaching program. Our coaches teach the fundamentals of working by referral and keep you on track to reach your goals. So to learn more, Head over to buffiniancompany.com slash CCS, where you can request a complimentary group coaching session with our membership consultant team. You can also call at 800-945-3485, extension 2. That's it for now. Back to you, Brian. All right, Dave. Thanks, Emil. And I hope you guys take advantage of that opportunity. One piece of feedback we got was also about my mother. And my mother said the Irish blessing here a few shows ago, and my uh, mailbox has blown up, my email has blown up, and people have said, can we have your ma'am end the show every time? And so here it is, boys and girls. Apparently you wanted to hear it straight from the source instead of the, uh, the watered-down version. So uh, as my mother leaves you all here today, I'm going to see you next time. I'm going to listen to this myself, and uh, a little Irish blessing. And I hope that as you change your thoughts, you change your life you will uh, live a more blessed life. So here's ma'am. You take it away, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 